Well, here we are, the Franklin Church of Christ. We've gathered here claiming that we want to serve God and do His will, worshiping Him. And my big question now is, now what? If we were to look at the churches around us, we could probably believe that we could do anything and everything that we wanted to and call it worship to God. The possibilities would be endless. We could have somber, liturgical services in foreign languages. Or we could have a spur of the moment, lift your hands and shout and jump and sing services. And we could call it worship. We could have plays and meals and watch sports and eat and all kinds of things and say that we're doing it in the name of Jesus Christ if we wanted to be like the churches around us. But in the midst of this cacophony the world calls worship, we remember that we're not here to be just like all the churches that are around us. We recognize that we're here to glorify God. In Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse 20, the Scripture says, in Ephesians 3 and verse 20, Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Our desire is to be this church which glorifies God. And as we keep that in mind, the story of Nadab and Abihu looms large. I remember in Leviticus chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. In Leviticus chapter 10 and verse 1, Moses wrote there, Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. We've learned that we don't get to just do whatever we want. Doing what we want is not glorifying God. We're only glorifying God when we do what God wants. And when we do things His way. And so we've learned... That if we're going to do things God's way, we've got to read what God has said about glorifying Him. We've got to turn to the Scriptures. And yet numerous folks today claim to turn to the Scriptures. We all recognize that the standard for our authority, the proper standard, is God's Word. And yet there are still so many differences. What we recognize from this is that we must not just say that we're going to use the proper standard. We recognize that we've got to use the standard properly. What is it that we're allowed to do as a church? How can we glorify God? In order to be able to do that, we've got to learn what it said in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, Paul wrote to Timothy, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's our duty. We've got to rightly divide. That means we've got to apply it accurately, studying it and learning it. 
And if we're going to glorify God, we've got to learn how to go to this book and determine from it what we are allowed to do and what we are not allowed to do. We've got to learn how to establish God's authority from God's Word. And that's what I want us to do this morning as we look to God's Word and learn how to rightly divide it using the standard properly. Let me inform you that in just a few weeks, on March 21st, on Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock, Ron Adams and I are going to be teaching a class on this very subject, going a little bit more in depth. It's one of our workshops that we have for those who are new converts and, and new members of the congregation. But if you want to learn more about this, make sure you sign up for that today so that we'll know you'll be there. There's a sign-up sheet as you're going out that front door, right between the doors. Please sign up so that we'll know that you're going to be there and we can make sure you have some material. This is an awesome study. This is what we as Christians must learn if we're going to please God. The very first thing that we need to recognize as we consider establishing authority from God's Word is we need to realize the overarching principle of Bible study, and that is is that we're supposed to be seeking authorization, not condemnation. If you look over one chapter from where your Bible's open, look to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Paul wrote, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. In this passage, Paul demonstrates what the Bible does for us. I want you to notice very clearly that Paul did not say that the Bible has been given to condemn every bad work. It says that the Bible has been given to equip us for every good work. How do we know what's good and what's bad? We don't look for condemnation and say, well, as long as it's not explicitly condemned, I can do it. We have to look for authorization. We have to look for equipping. Does something in the Bible say that we're allowed to do this? One of the problems that we have is that we most often ask the question, what's wrong with such and such? That's not the correct question. The question we need to be asking is, what is right with such and such? Where can I go into the Scripture and find that it equips us to do this work? If I can't find equipping for it, authorization for it, then it is not a good work because God's Word equips us for how many good works? Most good works? Is that what it says? No, what it says is for every good work. If I can't go find equipping for it, it doesn't matter if it wasn't explicitly condemned. If I can't go to the Scripture and see where the Scripture says this is something we ought to be doing, then it's not a good work. It's a bad work. And we need to steer clear from it. We go back to Leviticus chapter 10, that example that we looked at just moments ago, and think about what happened there. In Leviticus chapter 10, as Nadab and Abihu offered this profane fire, notice what it says. It doesn't say that they offered fire which God condemned. It says they offered fire which God did not command. In fact, some translations, instead of saying profane fire, say unauthorized fire. He hadn't commanded it. He hadn't equipped them to use this fire. And so it was a bad work, even though they were doing it in honor to God. They were worshiping God, they thought. But they did something that wasn't commanded, something that was unauthorized. Surely they could have said, well, it wasn't condemned. That wasn't the point. The point was we're seeking authorization, not condemnation. And we have got to remember that. So many people today, well, what's wrong with it? Well, I can't see anything wrong with this. I don't know why God wouldn't like this. 
God's given us His Word so that we'll know what He likes and what He wants. And by those who draw near to Him, He must be glorified. And the only way we can do it is by doing what He's authorized. We've got to remember that. No matter what we learn, other than that, this is the overarching principle of all we do. But as we consider this, and as we look at the Bible and how the Bible authorizes, we learn that the Bible authorizes in three ways. Now let me tell you. I'm going to delineate these things, and I'm going to apply some some labels and some names. Most of you probably heard these things before. Some of you may not have. Don't be scared by all these labels. This is just a way of formulating it so we can think about it and get a process in our minds. But really, what we're going to learn today is that when it comes to establishing authority from the Bible, we don't do anything differently with this than we do with anything else in our lives. This is all very common sense. The very first thing will demonstrate that as we consider this. How does the Bible authorize? It authorizes by direct statement, by command. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, Jesus demonstrated something which, brethren, is just plain common sense. In Luke 6:46, Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? If Jesus is our Lord, what are we going to do? We're going to do what He says. And so when we go to His Word and we see what He says, if He tells us we can do something, or if the Word commands us to do something, are we allowed to do it? Absolutely. That's just plain common sense, isn't it? When you're on the job, when you're at home, when you're at school, if whoever's in authority tells you you can do something or tells you to do something, you know you can do it, don't you? Nothing odd or strange about that. When we go to the Bible, it's the exact same way. Consider, for example, Acts 2.38. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, we find Peter, by inspiration, recorded by Luke here in the book of Acts, Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. There's the command. Baptize for the remission of sins. Are we allowed to do that? Are we allowed to baptize folks for the remission of their sins? Is there authority for that? Is there equipping? Absolutely. There it is. We can learn from the Scripture what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to do it. Very simple. But there's a second way. The second way is by approved example. Now think about this. It's just natural common sense that whatever the Scripture tells us to do, we're allowed to do. There's a direct statement we're allowed to do. Look at Philippians 4.9. At the direct statement we find in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 9. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 9, Paul said, The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul, by this statement, this direct statement, tells us that we're supposed to follow the approved examples. If you can look at somebody who is acting by the authority of God and you, and you see that it's approved of God, then we can do it. We go back to the Scripture. When we find examples of what they did and we see that it was approved of God in Scripture, are we allowed to do it? We most certainly are. If these folks in the Scripture, as God is writing to us what they did, if God approved of it from them, He'll approve of it from us, won't He? And we can learn that it's authorized. For instance, look in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, we find, On the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message till midnight. Here they were, gathering together, participating in the Lord's Supper. 
Are we allowed to do that on the first day of the week? We certainly are. They did it. God approved of it. Here was an apostle inspired by God, having been given revelation of what they were supposed to do, and they were doing this. We're allowed to do it. In fact, what we find is that there's no authorization to do it on any other day than this day, because this is the only time they did it in the New Testament church. But we find a proved example. And so we know that we're allowed to do these things. Now, the third one. The third, well, some folks think it's a little bit tricky, but it's really not. We'll call this necessary inference. Now, keep in mind, we know that if something is directly stated, we're allowed to do it. We've seen the direct statement that we're supposed to follow the approved examples. I want you now to look at an approved example. Look in Romans chapter 10, beginning at verse 13. In Romans chapter 10, beginning at verse 13, Paul said, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's a quote from the Old Testament. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He starts there, but amazingly enough, by the time he gets done, in verse 15 he says, How shall they preach unless they're sent? He goes from a very simple statement, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, and he comes down to the end saying, churches need to be sending people out teaching the gospel. How did he do that? He made a series of necessary inferences. Notice what he did. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Do you see what happened there? For folks to be saved, they've got to call on the name of the Lord. But in order to do that, there's some other things that absolutely must happen. If they're going to call on the name of the Lord, they must believe in the Lord. Because who's going to call on Him if they don't believe in Him? Nobody. If they're going to believe on Him, they absolutely must hear about it. How are we going to believe in somebody about whom we've not heard? You can't do it. If they're going to hear about him, somebody's got to be talking about him. There's no way to hear about someone that nobody's talking about. And if folks are going to get out and talk about him, how are they going to do it? They're going to be sent out. Churches are going to be training and equipping folks to go out and teach the gospel. They're going to go out and teach. Here's the amazing thing. If there was never anything else in the Bible said about evangelism, about personal work, about training and equipping and sending out teachers, the statement, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, would authorize churches sending folks out, training and equipping people to teach. Because there's no way to get people to call on the name of the Lord without us sending folks out teaching. Do you see what happened there? Necessary inference. We can infer a lot of things about a lot of statements. But that's not what I'm talking about. We're talking here about necessary inference. If the activity that we're considering must be accomplished in order to accomplish what's authorized, then it's also authorized. Necessary inference. Consider, for example, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. Hebrews chapter 10 And verse 25. There, the Hebrew writer said, Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as the habit of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We've read this passage numerous times. We know what it says. We've got to assemble. 
Churches must assemble. There's a command. Are we allowed to assemble? Certainly. Direct statement. Of course we are. But in order to assemble, do you realize that there are some things that we must do and must have that are not explicitly mentioned in Scripture? Do you realize that in order to assemble, we've got to have, we must have, set times of assembly? How are we going to gather together unless we all know when everyone's gathering? Some of us might show up who like to get up early at 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm glad that's not our set time. Others who like to sleep late might not get here till noon. But we have to have a set time so we can all get here together. Otherwise, it's not an assembly, right? We also have to have a place to assemble. We can't assemble if we're not going to do it somewhere, can we? And so we have to have a place. These things are authorized. Why? Because in order to accomplish what was said, there's some things that we absolutely have to do. Necessarily inferred, then, that we're allowed to do them. Now, moving on from those three things, and you you need to put those three things in your mind. How does the Scripture authorize? Direct statement, approved example, necessary inference. If I can't find some principles in the Scripture through those means and say I'm allowed to do something, then we're not allowed to do it. We want to glorify God. We've got to remember that. We're looking for authority. But as we consider that, there are some other principles that we have to keep in mind. Namely, we need to keep in mind the difference between specific authorization and generic authorization. Again, don't allow the labels to confuse you or to scare you or overwhelm you. This is very much common sense. This is how we work in our lives. I want you to consider the mother who said to her son, take this $5 and go buy me a loaf of bread at Walmart. In every command, in every example, in every necessary inference, there are things specifically authorized and things generically authorized. This mother, what did she say? She said, go buy a loaf of bread. Is he allowed to buy hamburger buns? If you gave your son $5 and said, go buy a loaf of bread and he came back with hamburger buns, what would you do? Send him back, wouldn't you? Of course, why? Because you specified something. You specified a loaf of bread. You see, specific authority. This is the idea that when a particular activity is specified, all other activities in the same class are ruled out. She specified Walmart. Is he allowed to go to Bilo? Absolutely not. Specific, ruled out all other things in the class. However, she also authorized some things generically. What kind of bread? What brand does it have to be? She didn't say. And assuming that through that she hasn't already authorized something or specified something through example, through years of example, he's allowed to make up his own mind on what he's going to do about that. Well, he can go buy Wonder Bread or, or Nature's Harvest or, or Wheat Bread or White Bread or whatever as long as it's a loaf of bread. Right? See, that's general authority or generic authority. When a class of activities is authorized, then every activity in the class is authorized. Now, that's just plain common sense, isn't it? Well, we do that when we're sent to the store. Why can't we do that when we go to the Bible? We know from Romans chapter 15 and verse 4 that the Old Testament was written for our learning. Let me give you some examples then. Look back in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 14. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 14, God said to Noah, Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. What kind of wood was he allowed to use? Very plain and very simply, gopher wood. Was he allowed to use some other kind of wood? 
Absolutely not. Because God specified the kind of wood he was supposed to use. That means he's not allowed to use any other kind of wood. But how is he supposed to form this wood? And in what lengths is he going to cut this wood? And how is he going to get it into the shape of art? God didn't say. That's left up to his decision. There were things generically authorized here. He might have two by fours and four by sixes and, and sheet planks and whatever else he might have. Probably have a big old long beam that he somehow connected together. But that's left up to his decision to make. But whatever he does, it's got to be gopher wood, doesn't it? Look in Numbers chapter 19 and verse 2. Numbers chapter 19 and verse 2. This purification sacrifice, God said, this is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring you a red heifer without blemish, in which there is no defect, and on which a yoke has never come. What kind of animal have they got to be sacrificing? Can they sacrifice a bull? For this? Absolutely not. Why? He specified a heifer. Are they allowed to sacrifice a sheep? Absolutely not. He specified a heifer. Everything else in this class, every other animal is ruled out for this sacrifice. But he also specified it even further. It's got to be a red heifer. Can it be a black one? A brown one? A white one? No, it has to be red. But there are some things that are left generic here. For instance, how old does it have to be? doesn't say, does it? It be one year old, it can be ten years old, as long as it doesn't have a blemish. You might say, oh, Edwin, you're stretching that one a little bit. Well, look at Exodus chapter 12 and verse 5. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 5, talking about the Passover sacrifice. The scripture there says... Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You see, there's some things specified here. Can we sacrifice a heifer for the Passover sacrifice? Absolutely not. It's got to be a lamb from the sheep or from the goats. Specified. Rules everything else out. What color can it be, though? Can it be white? Sure. Could it be black? Yeah. Brown? Red? It can be any color because he didn't specify. But how old does it have to be? It has to be in the first year. See, here the age mattered. God specified an age. They weren't allowed to just bring anyone they wanted. It had to be in the first year. Very clearly. When God specifies an activity, everything else in that class is ruled out. When he generically authorizes a class of activities, then everything in there is authorized. It's left up to our choice which one we're going to do. For instance, we'll go back to our Hebrews 10.25 again. We find in Hebrews 10.25 what we found a few moments ago we're supposed to assemble. That means we've got to have a place to assemble. But God didn't specify where to assemble, did He? He didn't specify that. We find in the Scriptures that they assembled in lots of different places. And so what we find is that generically, when we're trying to fulfill this command to assemble, we know we've got to have a place. What decision do we make? It's left up to us. We can meet in somebody's house. Of course, does anybody here have a house big enough for us all to meet in? No. We could rent a place, couldn't we? We could go find a field and set up a big tent. We could go meet in a cave somewhere. We could go to some convention center or a storefront. Or we could build a building, an assembly hall such as this one, in which we're going to meet. Because, you see, God specified that we have to assemble. We can't get rid of that. But He didn't specify where. And so it's left up to us. And we're not allowed to judge. Every congregation gets to make their own choice about where they're going to meet. And we're not allowed to judge on that. We're not allowed to condemn somebody because their choice is different from ours. It's left up to us. 
Moving on, one final principle that we need to keep in mind is the difference between what is an aid and what is an addition. Are we allowed to use things and to do things that help us accomplish what God has authorized? We most certainly are. However, we are not allowed to wave our little magic, it helps us wand, and say that authorizes anything and everything we want to do. We've got to learn the distinction between something that helps and something that adds to. Because you remember Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 6 says, Beware lest you add to the word of God and be found a liar. We're not allowed to add to God's word. And so as we consider these things, we recognize an aid. An aid is something which helps accomplish an authorized activity, but when done, nothing more than the authorized activity has been done. An addition, however, is something that may or may not help accomplish an authorized activity, but when you're done, something in addition to the authorized activity has been done. Let's go back to our mother who told her son, take this $5, go to Walmart, buy me a loaf of bread. We know he's got to go to Walmart, doesn't he? And in order to get there, he's got to get there somehow, doesn't he? Did she specify how to get there? So it's left up to his choice, isn't it? He can drive, he can walk, he can ride a bike. He does any one of those things. Has he added to what she said? Absolutely not. He's just done exactly what he had to do in order to accomplish the task that she gave him. He had to get there somehow. She generically authorized any of those ways. When he rode his bike or drove his car, he didn't add to... He simply accomplished what was done. Did the car help him? Of course it did. Did she specifically say car? No, she didn't. But was it authorized? Certainly was. That was an aid. However, our son was really tired. And he thought to himself, man, I really don't feel like doing this. What I need is some caffeine. And so on his way to Walmart, he stopped at the corner store and with that $5 bought himself a Coke and then went on to Walmart, pumped up and rejuvenated with the caffeine and bought a loaf of bread with the rest of the money. Now what was that? Was that an aid? That's what he said. He said, oh, it's going to help me. And certainly it may have spruced him up. It may have pumped him up. It may have, may have made him feel more alive so that he could go and accomplish this a lot better. But he had done something in addition to what she authorized now, hasn't he? She said, go buy a loaf of bread, not go buy a loaf of bread and coke. One of the difficult issues here, we talk about AIDS. Who gets to judge what's helping and what's not? He said the coke helped him. We'd probably say, what are you talking about? That's crazy. But it doesn't matter. Whether it helped or not, he had now done something in addition. Let's look at our Old Testament examples. Genesis 6.14. God told Noah, build an ark out of gopher wood. How's he going to do that? You think he can use hammers and saws? Well, I think he can. He's working with wood. He's going to have to. When he's done using the hammers and the saws, has he done anything in addition to what God told him to do? No, all he has done is built an ark. But Noah thinks to himself, well, if we're going to be out and he's saying it's going to rain and there's going to be all kinds of water and I don't know if this boat's going to sit, I'm going to build a lifeboat too because that will help us in the journey just in case we have to abandon ship. Was that authorized? Absolutely not. That's an addition. God didn't tell him to do that. Once he's done building the lifeboat, he's done something in addition to what God authorized. Let's consider Exodus chapter 12 and verse 5, the Passover sacrifice. Now, we know they're going to eat that lamb. Are they allowed to use a rope to lead that lamb up to the altar? Of course they are. Assuming it doesn't leave a rope burn as a blemish. 
All they're doing when they get that lamb up to the altar is exactly what they were told to do. Sacrifice this Passover lamb. Got to get it there somehow. But what if they say to themselves, you know what? We're going to be eating this thing, and it sure would go down a lot better if we also sacrificed a red heifer or a pig, had a little bacon on the side. Wouldn't that make it taste good? Was that authorized? No, that's an addition. We're now doing something in addition to what God has commanded. And it doesn't matter how much we say it helps with what we're doing. When we do something in addition to what God says, we're not doing what's authorized. We fast forward to our time today. We can look in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19, the scripture there says, Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. What has God specified? He specified that we're supposed to sing. That rules out everything else in the class. We don't hum, we're not whistling, we're not, we're not playing instruments in worship to God. Because He specified, this is what I want. Sing, make melody in your heart. And that's what we do. We don't do anything else. Because if we bring in a piano or a guitar or drums... No doubt some of us would say, well, that would help. Though that's not necessarily the case. We might say that would help, but when we're done, we've now added something, haven't we? We've now done something in addition to what God commanded. Not an aid, an addition. This is not rocket science. This is not that difficult. I hope you recognize as we've gone through these things that we're not talking about doing anything differently than the way we act in our entire lives. But it's amazing that we come to the Word of God and at times it's almost as though we think, well, God wrote this Bible, so we must, we're must we probably supposed to think about it completely differently than we do with anything else. Let's remember what happened in Leviticus chapter 10. Those two men, Nadab and Abihu, did what was not authorized and God zapped them for it. Brethren, God doesn't send fire down raining upon everybody who disobeys Him. He gave us a couple of examples that we're supposed to learn from. And we need to remember Luke 6.46. Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? If Jesus is our Lord, we've got to do what He says. What He authorizes through His Word. And that's how we glorify Him. All kinds of things are done in churches today. But we're not glorifying God unless we do what He wants in His church, His way. This is a very serious issue. This should not be taken lightly. So many of us have been in church for years, and we've heard sermons like this over and over again, almost to the point that we hear, oh boy, another Establishing Bible Authority lesson. If we don't constantly remind ourselves of what we are supposed to do, we'll forget And then we'll end up like Nadab and Abihu. And when we stand before God in judgment, we'll hear, Depart from me, you who practice iniquity. I don't know about you, but I don't want to hear that. What I want to hear is, Enter in good and faithful servant. The only way we'll hear that is if we go to His Word and do what He says. Let's use the standard properly. Let's serve our Lord the way He wants.